Hey, what's up? This is Jack Inslee, host of Full Service Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this show, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit wholefoodsmarket.com. Welcome to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're coming to you from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to After the Jump every Wednesday at 1 p.m. on heritageradionetwork.org or download the podcast on iTunes anytime. Like most people, my guilty pleasures involve spending too much time in front of screens and clicking on links that promise to tell me what job I really should be doing and how I can eat certain foods to make my hair shinier. But most of the time, those lunch break links lead me to fluff. But on some days, they lead me to something spectacular. A few weeks ago, I followed a link on Facebook over to an incredible video project that interviewed people in different cities about what the last photo on their phone was. From London to Alabama, the answers were both fascinating and thought-provoking. Those videos led me to others by the same filmmaker and interactive artist Ivan Cash, and I am so excited to have him on air with me today. Thanks for being here. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Really happy to be here. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Uh, so you're here all the way from San Francisco, and I'm glad to have you. It's always tough to get people from the West Coast on air. And I'm embarrassed to say you were only the second person in film I've ever had on air in all 100 episodes. I find filmmakers somewhat intimidating. There's something about the fact that you guys are always behind a camera. You but... should find me very intimidating. <laughs> I get that a lot. That's Yeah, it's your, I think it's yours overwhelming stature. (laughs) So I first discovered the series that you did online called Last Photo, where you asked people on the street to show and tell you about the most recent photo on their phone. And then that led me to a short film you did called Howard's Farm that moved me and probably anybody else that watched it to tears. Um, Your work has such a broad range and is in a great way, both entertaining and thought provoking. How did you first get into making videos and films? Yeah. Um, when I was much younger in high school, I had just a basic VHS camera that my parents had lying around and my neighbor and myself would just make different kinds of films. We did a jackass interpretation, (laughs) et cetera. And at that point in time, I wanted to be a filmmaker. I was working as a bus boy at a local restaurant and someone came in from the craft department of a film crew and turns out there was a local film production being done about a million dollar budget. Jace Alexander was the director. He's done Law and Order stuff. And so right after my dad picked me up from the job, I demanded that we go to the set, and I walked into the office and got myself a production assistant job for the month and loved the experience. But when I was there, kind of realized I couldn't see myself doing any specific task or job title, and so ended up actually become. I kind of realized the only thing I really want to do is be a director and I just thought that was so impractical. <laughs> I kind of gave up my dream of being a filmmaker at that point in time. Went to school for communication. And then it's been years and years later that I slowly have come into filmmaking just through getting a, a Canon 7D from someone and messing around. And then one thing leading to another. I always find that people who work in film have very sort of stringent beliefs about film school versus not going to film school. Do you have any feelings on that? I'm entirely self-taught, and that's kind of how I've learned everything. But I don't know if I have, I'm not for or against film school. But I, to me, if you're passionate about something, 
there are so many resources right now in the world that exist, the internet, where it's really possible to be a professional creative, I think, in any discipline without necessarily, not that I think school can be a good thing, but I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to back up a little bit. Tell me about where you grew up and what was your family like? Did they encourage your sort of film pursuit? Sure. I grew up in Marlboro, New York, which is about 75 miles north of New York City. My dad is a fine artist and sculptor. My mom's a teacher. And I would say they're both hippies. (laughs) And growing up, it was actually, uh, there was quite a, a great tension between my family upbringing. I didn't have TV or video games growing up. Um, I had tofu sandwiches that I'd bring to school. And Marlboro, the town itself, it's a beautiful farm town, but uh, very conservative in a lot of ways. Um, not many people with our family background there. And, for instance, Snooky from the Jersey Shore, I rode the bus with her growing up. <laughs> and, and that was, I, I don't see that as being a total deviation from the norm of that, the culture of the school. And so I definitely stood out and struggled with sort of being a loner for a while. Um, and so in some ways really rejected the, the creative background that I had through my family in the interest of wanting to be accepted with the popular kids and stuff. So I got really into basketball and sports and in college I was a sports announcer and, or I I co-hosted a sports show and thought that's what I'd be doing. And then finally I kind of have, I guess, found my way in art, but that def- my, my parents encouraged it, but I rebelled from it growing up, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, totally. I, you rode a bus with Snooky. Where, where else did you go from that? Um, <laughs> I always think that everybody's lives have these sort of series of, of pivot points where something sort of turns them in different direction, direction that sort of pushes them towards whatever they're going to end up doing for some period of time. And when you were working in sort of sports and sports announcing, what was the pivot point after that that maybe pushed you back towards yeah. sort of more visual arts? I think it was more of a gradual thing, but I was really interested in Banksy and Shepard Fairey and just the street art movement in general and the work that, that they were doing, which I actually think has a lot of similarities to advertising in that it's sort of influencing culture without permission. It's just sort of invading people's space. And in a lot of ways, I think the Internet and street art have a lot of parallels. So both are totally demographic and non-hierarchical. You can say anything to anyone and... So I was, I was a big stencil artist in college, and my my aspiration was to be a, a big street artist. And just kind of organically, the internet was around, and I started doing projects through that. And one project, I guess the, the pivot point would be, um, I mentioned I was a big basketball fan. I was telling you earlier, I went to a Knicks game last night. I've been a Knicks fan all my life and made a T-shirt in my screen printing class regarding a really bad coach they had at the time that said, don't hate the player or the game, hate the coach. (laughs) It was about Isaiah Thomas. I won't go into the details. He was a really crappy coach. And I sold them outside of Madison Square Garden in college and was selling boatloads of them, doing really well, going to every game. And the fourth game I went to, I got arrested. Cops were, like, waiting for me, handcuffs, holding cell, the whole rigmarole. And I called the papers after I got out of the holding cell. And on the first page of the Daily News was a big color photo of me and student arrested for fire, Isaiah Tease. And from there, I was interviewed on ESPN Radio. The shirts were featured in Slam Magazine that I had a subscription to at the time. And I sold hundreds more shirts online. I created a simple website. And so that was kind of the first experience I had with creating, I guess, a, a creative campaign where it was totally self-initiated. I didn't have any other help or or outside. It was, it was just funded by a college student. And in my standards at the time, it was wildly successful. 
And so that taught me that really anyone can make a viral campaign or project. You just put it out there and maybe something will strike. And so I think that experience really informed my interest in creativity and pop culture and being able to like tell a story and and see how it lands. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you mentioned things going viral because I was watching your videos and reading more about your work and you have this incredible penchant for making things very sticky and they pick pick up and take off and such a huge diverse group of places. Do you think there's something that sort of unites all your projects that makes them sticky or do you think there's something inherent about the cause you're picking up each time? I really try to make projects that are simple. I like to be able to do projects that I can describe in one sentence. And I think that comes from having a fine artist father who I, I have great, you know, we are super close. We just went to the Met the other day together. Um, but I guess I, I kind of rebelled from the notion of, of art being this really kind of indulgent, long-winded description. I, I wanted my stuff to so be not fine art. And so, you know, I did a project called Selfless Portraits where strangers across the world draw each other's Facebook profile pics. And I can just say that and you get it and I don't have to say anything more. And I like that. I'm, I'm kind of, I think I'm a little bit of a shy person and it's also nice to be able to describe something and not have to go into too much detail. So I think simplicity is really important. And then I think a lot of my projects have an element of human connection and that's a very broad umbrella, but I mentioned being a loner and I think that loneliness is a really important, I don't know if it's a feeling or an aspect of life that doesn't get talked about enough, but I think it's something that we all experience on some level and maybe we can do a good job avoiding it or pushing it away and not feeling it too often. But I think that it's just something that, that, in, that motivates people. It motivates me. Um, and I think it, it, it's, it can be beautiful. It can be dark, but I think the, the counter of that is intimacy and feeling really close to someone and from growing up and kind of always craving that, but not necessarily finding it from not having like the cultural um, background of like not having TV video games to relate to other kids at the time. I think I'm, I'm still really motivated to do work that does provide a sense of, of connection maybe for like the kid out there that has a situation like me that doesn't feel heard or known um, on a, a greater way and wants that. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think you done your, all of your work does a really good job of finding that balance between feeling like there's a, a message that comes from this very personal place, but also the ability to really connect with a large amount of people and in such a simple way. I think that being able to describe your project in one sentence, you make that sound very easy. I think it's a really difficult thing to do well, and you do that very, very well. Um, I want to talk about the way that sort of enhances and works so well with the commercial work you do, too. But we're going to take a very quick break and we'll be right back. It is so exciting to have this new medium. Hosting After the Jump has been a huge part of me transitioning from being a blogger to somebody who has sort of real important conversations with people in real life. My show, I, I kind of describe it as an audio trade magazine. I learn a ton from the guests every week, whether it's, it's restaurants, bars. All the hosts at Heritage all come from different perspectives. Everyone should be listening to this. If you're interested in conservation and 
and practical approach to renewable food sources. You know, not this big industry. Whether it's history, uh, laws, social policies of food, I think people now take food seriously, and hopefully what's on their plate will become something very special. And I feel that podcasting has a future, giving people information in a format they can really use on the go. We need your support to keep these conversations going. To donate, visit heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate. Hey, welcome back to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today I'm talking with Ivan Cash about artwork, filmmaking, and getting your message out to a larger audience. Before the break, we were talking about um, that balance between commercial work and personal work, and that's something you do a lot of commercial work that's really beautiful work. How do you balance those projects with things that are sort of more personal and driven sort of internally from the start? Yeah. So... I think that a lot of the commercial work I've gotten has come as a response to the personal projects I've done. And I've noticed that there can be a really beautiful, like, cyclical process of doing projects that are just inspired by my my interest, my passion, what what I want to put out into the world. And then once that goes out there, people see what that and want that for their project, cause, brand, what have you. And so I've tried to... I'm trying to be really selective with the projects I do take on so that I can just have a, I think the the struggle for any artist or creative person that also wants to make a living with doing that art is how to be true to that and how to make work that's fulfilling while also paying bills. And that's something that I, I certainly don't feel like I have it down to a science and I, I struggle with it like everyone, but I think I've been fortunate in, getting a lot of my personal projects have received recognition um, pretty largely. And so that then informs a lot of potential and now clients to reach out and want that same kind of work. And so L'Oreal last spring commissioned me to do an interview series in San Francisco on the topic of inspiration. And that was really as narrow as they defined it. It was, it was quite a broad brief and ask. And so that was a, a beautiful alignment of something they were interested in and something that I was interested in. And they found out about me through my last photo project. Do you find that people who come to you through your personal projects give you a lot more leeway with work, or does that sort of depend on the client? Sometimes. I don't think it's a, a black or white <laughs> anything, but that ideally is the case. Let's talk about Last Photo. That's how I first found you, and it's an amazing project. Talk about how that came about and how you came up with that very simple concept. Yeah. I'm a big believer in experimentation creatively, I think the internet is a great place for experimentation where you can just put something out and see how it lands. And so I, I really tried to do that with my film work and this actually, okay, I'll, I'll go back for a second back to high school when I was into filmmaking, I brought a camera to New York city on a couple of occasions and just interviewed people on the street, asking them totally random questions. And I remember feeling this excitement about just talking to strangers, but having a camera and, I guess as a younger person, there was something exciting about being a part of the city and being engaged with all these people. And I didn't know who they were, but once I talked to them, that a world opens up to me. And I've always remembered that and, and been interested in that. And so in San Francisco, um, I went around asking people, what's the last text on your phone? And made a video from that. And I was really pleased with the results. And I thought, what other ways can I engage people? And then the other thing is that nowadays we're all walking around with these smartphones, or many of us. And smartphones are beautiful in that they connect us with so many people around the world instantaneously. 
And they also, I think, are a little unfortunate in that they disconnect us from the people around us. Um, you know, even right now, there's a gentleman across the, the window from this interview <laughs> station that's on his phone. And, you know, who knows what he might be able to access or who he might be able to meet if that wasn't the case. And I'm, I'm on my phone a lot, too. But I'm interested in using technology to deepen human connection in a real, tangible way. And so that's where these questions have come from. So I did, what's the last photo on your phone? Put that online. It got a really positive response. And I'd been looking for a project to do while I traveled. And so just thought, this is perfect. I'm going to try it and see what happens. Yeah, I watched all of them. There, You go to so many different cities. And I I wanted to sort of be able to immediately be like, ah, oh, what are going to be the big differences between every city? Because there's going to be something huge. And there really wasn't to me. I was kind of shocked and enjoyed how similar everyone's sort of feelings about those photos were, even if the photos were very different. Um, the New York crowd did strike me as particularly self-aware of their, of their <laughs> photos and, what, and they, how they were about to share them somewhere else. Um, but was there anything that surprised you about sort of the responses you got from people in so so many very different places? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard for you to remember the specifics at this point because I have been to so many cities and I just got back from Chicago and Detroit last month and I have vi- those videos coming out soon. Um, it's actually been more of just a, I think I've learned a lot about myself and a lot about social dynamics in forcing myself. I spend three days per city, which is a while, you know, from, from sun, from the morning to the evening, going around, approaching strangers and asking them this question that's unusual and slightly invasive. Yeah. What percentage of people just tell you to go away? What, what do you think? I'll <laughs> tell you, but what's your guess? I would actually think it's probably a third. It's it started at a third and I've gotten better and it's it's closer to a half and especially in the Midwest where people are more I think open and friendly it was closer to two thirds. Say but yes or say no. Say yes. Okay, I was thinking one third said no. I was okay. thinking people are actually far more okay. open. I think I feel like social media has made people much more open with things than you would think they would be. I think people are more open on social media but I think in the real world it can be quite a lot for some people to to stop what they're doing and open up to a complete stranger. Like I said, now though I've developed a pretty refined approach in who I approach and how I go about doing so. And I've realized that a lot of it is about what my, what my energy is. Um, and about just making space for people, at at least as an interview technique is really shutting my mouth. And, you know, as, as you're doing with me right now, you're kind of asking these prompts and then just shutting up and just kind of putting your attention on me and I, I'm able to just say whatever, whatever I want, you know? Yeah. Is there, what's, what's your sort of demeanor when you approach people? I find that I used to watch like style bloggers in New York a lot and I found that fascinating the way they would approach people to take an outfit photo. Yeah. I try to be really small when I approach people. Um, I'm never stopped in one place cause I don't want to be a canvasser or seem like a canvasser. So I'll walk next to someone. I usually scope people out that are, have an open posture. If I make eye contact or if they're looking around, that usually means they're more open. Um, and I'm, I am biased to people that seem interesting or unique in a specific way, maybe stylistically or what have you. And I'll usually just say, hey, pardon me, I'm doing this interview project. Would you mind if I asked you one question? And to me, it's like, it's just one question. I'm not going to be, it's not a whole series of prompts. And once someone says yes at that point, I've pretty much got them for as long as I need them for. Mm-hmm. 
I want to talk about, we're almost out of time, which I'm so bummed about, but I have two, I want to talk about two more of your projects. Sure. Um, your most recent snail mail, my email is genius, uh, where you basically started a community art project where people offer to handwrite and send physical letters that are versions of other people's emails. Um, how did that come about and how has it been received? Sure. So we just did the latest iteration. It's an annual project and it just happened um, a couple of weeks ago in November, but it started four years ago. And you asked about pivotal points, and I'll try to be really concise here, but my background is as an art director at advertising agencies, and I took my dream job at Wyden Kennedy in Amsterdam back in 2011, and immediately once I got out there, just realized it wasn't the right fit, and it was a super tough decision, but I quit that job after six months and had to deal with the... I guess, you know, you're not supposed to quit a job before a year's up. I had to pay back money for the moval fees. I had to deal with letting people down. Ultimately, it was fine. Everyone understood. And I started snail mail my email a week after I quit because I wanted to do a project where I had creative control. And I also had, like, dealt with a pretty painful breakup a couple of weeks prior to that. So I think I just had a lot of, like, <laughs> energy and needed to a lot of angst and needed an outlet for that. And so I put it into this project. I've always loved letter writing and I think that the ubiquity of email sucks. And so I just wanted to play with that. How did you choose the emails that would be handwritten? So it's, it's any email. And so originally I just sent it to family and friends. And then once the blogs picked it up, I got a thousand letter requests in one day and realized I had to reimagine the scope of the project because I don't have the time, money, resources and that's when letter artists or people from around the world reached out and, and heard about the project on Gizmodo or CNN and said, hey, can I help be a letter writing volunteer? And I realized that was the only way of going forward with the project. And so that was a 30-day project, and we sent out over 10,000 letters and had over 250 volunteers who paid for all the postage. Wow. And so I asked everyone to take a photo of the letter before they sent it out, and the selections of that um, photo archive have gone into a book, Snail Mail My Email which you can buy on Amazon, plug, plug. And yeah, it was just really magical that it was this commerce-free art project brought together through the internet. And so we do it every year now. We sent out over 7,000 letters this past week in November, and we had 390 volunteers help do that. Do the volunteers connect to the recipients in any way? Has there been any follow-up between the people who sort of hand-wrote that? So when we, you and I just met earlier, when you, I was smiling when you kind of came over and introduced yourself, and I was checking Instagram, I occasionally will check the hashtag snail mail my email. And one of the volunteers wrote a proposal letter um, to a recipient. And there was, it was an Instagram post that the volunteer had gotten a video from the recipient. And, and they showed the proposal that came in alignment with the letter. And so I, I have to look more into that. But occasionally that will happen. But generally, it's totally anonymous. And I think that the anonymity is beautiful. And I think doing acts of like generosity and kindness for people you don't know is really powerful. I'm really interested in the dynamic of what is a stranger? Like, like what is a stranger? It's, it's someone you haven't met yet. But I, th to me, if, if I can have a approach of like love or even maybe love's too big of a word, but just open mindedness and open heartedness with people I don't know, I think that a lot of the crappy things in the world could shift radically through that. And so that's a big motivation in my work. Mm -hmm. I think you've done an incredible job showing strangers or friends you haven't met yet um, such acts of kindness and generosity. Um, and it's wonderful to see how that turned into an act of sort of love for someone that you did know. Um, before we're out of time, I want to talk about Howard's Farm, which 
is a film I think I've I've watched like at least 10 times now and made everybody <laughs> in my life watch. Um, it's an incredible sort of like a visual love letter for back of, lack of better words to your former neighbor. Um, tell me a little bit about that project and what that was like making. Yeah. So I think I was on a, I do meditation retreats pretty regularly. And I think I, sometimes I'll just get like little piffs of in, inspiration. And I just realized that Howard's getting older and that, you know, he's not going to be around forever. And there's this farm that played such an important role in my childhood. My family went there every week and picnicked every Sunday there. And it's just this beautiful, very unique farm in upstate New York. And I, I just realized I wanted to document it. And as a storyteller, I suspected that there would be a, a degree of tension and conflict in his getting older and in this town that has, since I even moved out, I'd say the developments have doubled in the town. You know, it's just, it's getting more and more people. And so I really was wondering about the the state of the farm moving forward. And what really suspected that that would be sort of the, the heart of the film would be this tension, this conflict, and was actually a little surprised and even, if I'm to be honest, disappointed that when I interviewed Howard, there really wasn't a much tension at all. He was quite accepting of the state of the farm. He has four daughters, and the the future of the farm is uncertain. And he he is so equanimous i don't know what the word is but just very accepting of of the fate of the farm and to me that was a really beautiful takeaway from the film and other than that i just wanted to show like the the visual beauty we woke up me and um, my camera assistant we woke up at 5 a.m for three days straight and just went to the farm and filmed the sunrise and kind of selfishly i i like filmmaking because not only are you are you able am i able to you know make a film and share with others but like what a high for me to wake up before sun you know as the sun is rising being on this farm that's a great experience i thought it was was one of the most powerful pieces of short film i've seen for a couple moments i think the moment there's a beautiful section of the film where you just film him sitting there looking at the camera and i felt like i took away so much wisdom that after he was 86 when you filmed um that he could just let this all go the idea of having this farm that he poured his whole life into and just if his daughters don't want to keep it it's totally okay let it go there was so much wisdom and grace and that just ability to let something go yeah i i'm definitely not there yet but <laughs> it's definitely something to aspire to yeah i think when you're 86 reassess <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh we're just about out of time but i want to ask you one quick question or a bunch of quick questions and sure. then one long one um very last long question what is your pie in the sky project uh what would you want to do film or create if you had endless financial and team support yeah i mean that's a good question i try not to to have super I yeah I I'm I have these post-it notes all over my apartment in San Francisco that just says not knowing, and I that's kind of my mantra these days is to not really have too much figured out and to like be the first one to admit like I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, and even moving forward like I've gotten into film and I'd 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 like to be a start doing like more commercial film work which has already been happening, but maybe a, maybe a full length documentary if I had the funding. I would love to travel or I've, I've got some ideas of like traveling around and doing a, a documentary where I'm able to pull a lot of people into it. That that, that's, that's, that's my gut reaction. Cool. All right. I have five quick questions to ask you before we wrap up. Shoot. All right. First one, what was your favorite movie or video you liked to watch when you were growing up? I mean, like, like I mentioned, I didn't really watch much TV growing up, but my mom would have, family like tape their tv and so maybe like winnie the pooh or something. <laughs> uh what is the first sight you load when you wake up in the morning that's dangerous 
uh, <laughs> internet radio, you can say anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it's probably something like Facebook or NBA.com. I'll check the, the status of the Knicks. Who is somebody that you look up to when times are tough? My uncle. Um, he's a meditation teacher in San Francisco and one of the wisest people I know. And he has single, like, he's really been a big inspiration to, to how I live life and my, like, I really strive for balance, and he's someone that really feels content. Who's an artist uh, of any type who you think everyone should be paying more attention to right now? Oh, uh, one? I have to choose one? Uh, I can I'll, add more in the post on the site, but one for now. Yeah. Um, I'll say Mike Mills. Okay. Wait, I'll, 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 his wife, Miranda July. Yeah, I was like, people pay work. attention to both of those yeah, people. So. Well, I'll ask you more for the, last, uh, for the site. Last question, um, last but not least, what topic would you like to see more videos or films dedicated to? Um, sex. I, th- I think, I think, um, eroticism and like intimacy, I guess that's another area I'm like interested in exploring is like, it's something that a lot of people do like that we're all around because of sex. And I think there's a beautiful space to just play with that and to play with intimacy in a way that can be beautiful and not deal with the, the baggage that the porn industry I think has created for a lot of people sexually. So Thanks for being here, Ivan. Yeah, uh, for so everyone listening, where can they find you online? IvanCash.com. Awesome. Thanks for being here. And thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.